This piece was brought to you by Whole Foods Market, WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Jessica Harris, and welcome to my welcome table. Gather round this special table. It's scarred with memories, pitted with burn spots from hot skillets, and decorated with moisture rings from frosty glasses of lemonade, beer bottles, bourbon and ginger ale, and untold goblets of red wine. This table will be our flying carpet as we travel around the world. I'll share some of my secret spots. We'll meet new friends and reconnect with old ones. Sometimes, the table will be covered with fine porthot linen and my mother's bone china, and we'll sup on caviar and champagne. Other times, we'll cover it with yesterday's news and hanker down for a crawfish boil or a lobster supper. Whatever the meal, by the end of our time together, we'll have shared some special friends, sacred spots, and the food, drink, and music that connects them. So come, join me at my welcome table. Hi, my name's Mitzi Pratt, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. I am Patrick Dunn, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. My name is Nathan Drews, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. My name is John Barkley, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. My name is Anne McBride, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. Compass point. 33.40 degrees north, 91.05 degrees west. Greenville, Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta. I grew up down in the middle of the south, in a little bitty county, in a little bitty town. You've probably never been there, but you should go. I think there's something in the water makes the girls all pretty from hand. You know that down to Yazoo City, you ain't gonna find it up in Ohio. Perhaps no other state in the Union has the collective ethos of the state of Mississippi. From the time that we first learned to spell it as children, the Magnolia State becomes a part of our consciousness. Now that's not necessarily a good thing. My first trip to the state was over 18 years ago, and I went armed with a lifetime of memories of ugly scenes from flickering black and white television sets and a CD of Mississippi Goddamn by Nina Simone to play when my friends and I crossed over into the state. When I saw the first white fields of cotton blooming in the autumn sun, looking like so many snow-covered fields, it was as though I had returned to a place that was seared in my memory. I made my friends stop and scampered out over a ditch and into some poor man's cotton field where I broke off a few branches of cotton, marveling at the prickly tenacity of the bowls and the pristine white of the cotton. I took them to my hotel room, where they remained a testimonial to the history of my people linked to the state. For every one of the intervening years, the ceremonial thiefing of the cotton was a part of my often annual Mississippi journey. I now know that stealing cotton is considered a particularly heinous crime, but in my mind, it was a small, dare I say it, reparation to pay for the state's history.
That Mississippi lives not only in my memory, but in the collective consciousness of just about everyone of my generation. I'm a northerner, and as one who was well on the road to adulthood when the Civil Rights Accommodation Act was passed 50 years ago in 1964, Mississippi was a place to fear. I've spent the years since my first trip learning to know a state that has become a fascination, not to say an obsession. I've learned that while indeed there are some dark roads and alleyways that I wouldn't want to be on in midnight, in a car, Mississippi is much more than that. Much more than that, and along with my beloved New Orleans, that's really not the South, it is the southern place where I feel most at home. And in Mississippi, there's nowhere quite like the Delta. What is the Delta? It's certainly a state of mind for many folks, as well as a musical trope. But it all began as a geographical area, one that really didn't have its heyday until the declining years of Southern power. As blues historian, Southern teller of tales, and I'm thrilled to say my good friend, Bill Ferris defines it in the beginning of his masterwork, Blues from the Delta. The Delta is this, and I quote, Highway 61 stretches across 200 miles of rich black land known as the Mississippi Delta, where mile-long rows of cotton and soybeans spread out from its pavement and surround occasional towns such as Lula, Alligator, Pantherburn, Nidayuma, Anguilla, Arcola, and onward. The flat Delta land extends from Memphis, Tennessee to Vicksburg, Mississippi, and is defined by less bluffs on its eastern edge and the Mississippi River on the west. For centuries, the river has overflown its banks each spring, and deposits of alluvial soil are 30 feet deep in some areas. Until 1820, the Delta was an undeveloped island whose fertile soil was covered with dense hardwood forests, great cane breaks, and bayous. Settlers began to develop the Delta as part of the expanding cotton empire around 1835. And after, that's right, he said, after the Civil War, its land was cleared and plantations developed with black labor. One writer described the region as cotton-obsessed, negro-obsessed, and flood-ridden. It is the deepest south, the heart of Dixie, America's super plantation belt. 
continuing from Ferris. During the post-Civil War period, thousands of black freedmen migrated to the Delta to clear and farm its fields. They were recruited by labor agents who promised higher wages and civil rights which had been lost in other parts of the state. The Delta economy was founded on the labor of blacks who cleared the fields, built the levees to protect them from floods, and cultivated their crops. As late as the 1930s, Jasper Love, a Clarksdale blues singer, worked with mules to clear and farm the land, and daily labor began and ended with the toll of the farm bell. Ferris tells the truth. Down in Mississippi, way Remember your grade school history about the Nile Delta? Well, the Mississippi is the American Nile, and the civilization formed there is an entirely new civilization, one that still obsesses about cotton and race, and that is marked by a subculture all its own. Some say that the Delta really begins in the lobby of the Peabody Hotel in Memphis and ends in New Orleans but that's a statement that may speak more to the area's influence and power than its geography. And the geography is particular. You sense it the minute you cross into the delta. It's palpable. It goes all flat, and the vistas seem to extend to the world's edge. And, I'm sorry, it goes all flat, and the vistas extend to the world's edge. And if you're there when the cotton is high, there are stretches of white bowls as far as the eye can see. Now what I have come to know is that the Delta is dangerous. Not just dangerous in the ways you might think, but dangerous like the quagmire of conflicts that it is. To know the Mississippi Delta is to deal with the deep dark history of this country. It is dangerous, dangerous indeed, but not for the reasons you might think. For me, the Mississippi Delta is dangerous because I can lose myself in the iconic history of the place. I know of no other place in this country where it's possible to meet a white man who can pat Juba, play the bones, and tell tales of Noah's son house. Where restaurants have closed-off booths where you ring for service that recall the tales of illicit deals, both political and sexual, and prohibition. Where towns have seductive names that just make you want to pick up and move. Sure. There are even iconic spots like Clarksdale, Indianola, Greenwood, and Greenville. But then there are the ones that sing with the wildness of the place. How could you not want to live in a place named Alligator or Sunflower, Yazoo City, or my personal favorite, 
Panther Burn. I know a place called Panther Burn. Shocker County, Highway 61. It's cotton fields everywhere you turn. Climbing slowly in the sun. Mid July, steaming summer's day. Feel hands stop to check the sky. Looking for some rain. Who wouldn't love to say, I'm from Pantherburn, Mississippi? Indeed, the Delta is dangerous in so very many ways. It's dangerous with its music. It is, after all, the home of the blues. Ask any blues fan who has gone off in search of the legendary crossroads where Robert Johnson met the devil, who was really a leg by the Yoruba trickster, sold his soul and proceeded to change the face of music forevermore. multiples of those crossroads, as well as at least three graves of Johnson. Easier to pin down are the crossroads where, in the words of the song, the Southern Cross the Dog. Now that's the intersection of the Southern Railroad and the Yazoo and Mississippi Valley Railroad at Moorhead. Music just seems to come up from the rich alluvian soil. The Delta is home to Clarksdale, where the Ambulance is said to have refused the dying body of Bessie Smith. And Madidi, Morgan Freeman's blues club that packs them in nightly to hear a new generation sing the songs that Smith and others made popular. Freeman is from the Delta himself and still returns to his Charleston, Mississippi home to renew and revive. Just give me... Light this morning down on Parchment Falls. Church, give me life this morning down on Parchment Falls. I wouldn't hate it so bad, but I failed my wife and mom. Then there are other places. Places like Parchment Prison with its gun line and trustees a modern-day concentration camp that housed Freedom Riders. Today, it's called the Mississippi State Penitentiary and still houses hardened criminals and those unfortunates who stood up for themselves against unjust systems. Lampooned by Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence in the film Life, it was one of the state's great music incubators, as was the Stovall Plantation, where Muddy Waters lived before heading up to Chicago. Blues and pain are just another part of that complex Delta equation. The Delta is dangerous. The Delta is dangerous especially with food. The region is one of the country's poorest and is notorious for its lack 
of availability of fresh food, ironically, in some of the country's richest agricultural land. But, with typical Delta complexity, it's also home to one of the South's most iconic street foods, the hot tamale. Now, while many spend time obsessing about why there are tamales in Mississippi, the best thing to do with a tamale is eat it while it's piping hot and steaming from its corn husk wrap. Now this is a dish truly worthy of the region with its international vocation and its simplicity. Most Americans, outside of Mississippi of course, connect tamales with Mexico and cannot possibly imagine how they arrived in the Mississippi Delta. And they've been there for a long time. It's not as though there were traveling bands of Mexican tamale makers. The history is at the same time simpler and illuminating. Early French explorers to the region commented on a dish prepared by the Native Americans that consisted of pounded chestnuts that were steamed in green corn blades in an observation of a dish that was probably the ancestor of today's tamales. Wherever they are from, they are front and center for one weekend in October in Greenville, Mississippi, during the Hot Tamale Festival. Hot tamale than the red hot, yes, yeah, she got on sale. Hot tamale than the red hot, yes, yeah, she got on sale. Then they are celebrated in all of their variety as the streets of what is a very sleepy southern town are lined with booths displaying every possible type of tamale imaginable. There are the classics with chewy bits of well-seasoned pork nestled in the corn dough and innovative ones stuffed with everything from smoked catfish to vegetarian options. Naturally, this is the South, there is a queen and a king. But they are not beauty contestants, but rather community elders who have spent years, if not decades, working in the city's eateries. Singers perform, families reune, and the atmosphere is as warm as an August day in Vicksburg. Greenville native writer Julia Reed celebrates her city and usually manages to invite a stellar crew of friends down for a one-day symposium on food and literature and the arts. Full disclosure here, I was lucky enough to be in that number this year and have been promised a return visit. Folks arrive from as far away as Texas to celebrate not only the Delta's favorite street eat, but the warmth of family and the comfort of home and place. Now it's not all tamales in the Delta. The region is home to several good old-style restaurants as well. The holy trinity of Delta restaurants are Lusco's, Lillo's, and Doe's Eat Place. Lusco's, an Italian restaurant in Greenwood, has been in existence since 1933, but came to recent fame because of a television documentary Mississippi, a self-portrait, done by NBC in 1966 that featured Lusco's waiter, Booker Wright. Wright stood up on camera 
and recited Lusco's manner in his distinctive style that had made him a restaurant celebrity. Then, in an unexpected and unscripted change of pace, he told his truth, the truth, about his job. Glad to see y'all. We don't have a written menu. I'll be glad to tell you what we're going to serve tonight. Everything we serve is a la carte. We have fresh shrimp cocktail, lustrous shrimp, fresh orchard on a half shell, baked orchard, orchard Rockefeller, orchard Almadine, stewed orchard, fried orchard, Spanish mackerel broad, weapon salon steak, club steak, T-bone steak, porterhouse steak, ribeye steak, lustrous special steak, raw mushroom flavor garlic, tasty getting meatballs, salt shell crab, French fried onion, golden brown donut fried. Best food in the world, we serve the Lusco. Right who lived and died in Greenwood, Mississippi, was not only a waiter, but also a club owner of a black club, Booker's Place. Wright's story became a cause célèbre and has been featured in the 2012 documentary Booker's Place. His granddaughter, Yvette Johnson, is working on a book detailing her discovery of her grandfather's legacy of activism, and Wright is the subject of an oratorio commissioned by the Southern Foodways Alliance that debuted at the 2014 symposium. Lillo's, another classic Delta Italian eatery, is noted justly for its pastas and salads and the warmth of its waitstaff. But the undeniable star of the Delta Old Line restaurants is Doe's Eat Place in Greenville. Doe's Eat Place was established in 1941 by Dominic Doe Signa and his wife Mamie. Doe's father had moved to Greenville in 1903 from Italy and opened a grocery store in the building that now serves as the restaurant. The family lived in a house behind the store. It was a largely black neighborhood, even then. The grocery store, which the Signa family called Papa's Store, did well until the 1927 flood. After that, Big Doe's Signa went into bootlegging to help the family get back on its feet. After several years, he finally sold his still for $300 in a Model T Ford. And then around 1941, someone gave Mamie, his wife, a partial recipe for hot tamales. She improved on the recipe and began selling them. And that was the beginning of Doe's Eat Place. At first, Signa ran a honky-tonk in the front part of the store. It was strictly for blacks. He served items like buffalo fish and chili. But ironically, the white trade arrived by the back door, like segregation in reverse. One of the local doctors began coming in for a meal between calls. Big Doe would cook him up a steak and feed him in the back. Pretty soon the doctor brought another doctor than a lawyer, and before he knew it, Big Doe had a restaurant in the back for whites and a honky-tonk in the front for blacks. 
So after calling in family and friends and in-laws to help him cook, he eventually closed the honky-tonk and focused on Doe's Eat Place. To say the restaurant is unprepossessing would be rank understatement. Waiting outside, and you will be waiting outside no matter what you think, waiting outside with the hordes of other would-be Doe diners who are basically convivially tailgating and they tailgate drinks out of fully stocked bars in car trunks but as you do this you can almost hear the voice of Betty Davis driving by taking one look and pronouncing what a dump but it would be her loss there's no way to accurately describe the interior other than to say that in order to access the main dining room You've got to head through the steaming kitchen where the staff is working ferociously turning out dinner orders. The back room is spartan, to say the least, with plastic tablecloths, paper napkins, and nothing that matches. And nothing that would begin to explain the spot's fame until the food rolls out. Tamales that have the perfect balance of meat and corn dough. A perfectly dressed salad. Ours made, in fact, by this year's tamale queen still wearing her sash. And then, and then, steaks so perfect, toothsome, and fork tender that they are virtually indescribable. But it's not all does and luscos and lillos, and it's not all preserved in amber. The Delta also features some hostelleries and dining spots that rank among the region's best. Greenwood's Delta Bistro features Creole and Cajun food interpreted by James Beard-nominated Taylor Ricketts. Now, under the direction of executive chef Stevens Flagg, Giardina's, an old-line Italian restaurant that was begun in 1936 like the others, has had an update and is currently housed in the Alluvian Hotel, the Beacon Hotel of the Delta. The Alluvian is a place that lives largely in my fantasy life and that I have yet to visit, but I'm definitely dying to try the spa facilities and maybe take a cooking class there from my friend Martha Foose, who was the food consultant on the film The Help and who is the author of Screen Doors and Sweet Tea and a Southerly Course. She's one of my growing collection of Delta folk who welcome me with open arms, answer my questions, keep me out of trouble, and keep me coming back to the dangerous, dangerous Delta. Walking along, whistling a song, barefoot and fancy free, a big river boat passing us by. She's headed for New Orleans, there she goes Disappearing around the bend Roll on Mississippi You make me feel like a child again Cool river breeze So, until next time, 